podcasts. I think this is a highly professional podcast. People are going to respect it and like it. Hey, this is the restaurant business. You're only as good as your last win, baby. I, I, li- I like that. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Yeah, listen, hello and welcome to the first episode of what we hope is many of What's With The Pineapple, a brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association featuring me, Justin Winslow, President and CEO, and Emily Daunt, Vice President of Comms and Operations at the MRLA. That's inside jargon. Comms, for those listening, is communications. Just want to make sure the listeners are on the same page. All right, Emily, this is our first episode We don't exactly know where this is going yet, but we have an idea of what we want to try to accomplish with this. Give us a brief description of the podcast. Well, I think I'll start by saying that this podcast has been two years in the making, over two years in the making. Don't put too much pressure on it. Yeah, so here we are. It's a big, big moment for us and probably no one else. Okay, so the podcast is a way for us to communicate with our members and non-members, so Michigan's hospitality industry overall get them new and updated information on what's going on in real time through different segments, different current events, trends for the industry, stuff that's happening in Lansing and federally, government affairs wise, uh, and also interviewing different people, leaders in the industry, political leaders, and whoever our audience and our members end up wanting to hear from and going from there. Yeah, and hopefully we're providing some context. We throw a lot of data and a lot of information uh, at our members every single week. This is hopefully... A different way to get some of these some of these communications put forth and, and a way to maybe shed some light on them and give it a, a little background and understanding on whether it's advocacy or what we're doing in the public affairs sphere, putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing, whether it be policy or politically uh, or otherwise. And yeah, shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests that fit that description on both sides. But Emily, why is the cheeky name What's With The Pineapple the name of this podcast? It feels like maybe not the most professional way we could have gone. What's With The Pineapple? Why don't you explain? Um, It might be a little bit of personal projection and vengeance on my part. Hmm. Um, Vengeance is a strong word. So obviously, well, maybe not obviously, the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association, when we merged with lodging to bring lodging into the association in 2018-2019, we rebranded and the main portion of our logo is a pineapple. Ever since then, we have gotten a lot of feedback from people who maybe aren't in the industry as much about why is your logo pineapple? Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Fun fact. But it is the international symbol of hospitality. And as someone who monitors our social media and sees that feedback, sometimes it gets under my skin a little bit. So a way to to address that is by naming this podcast, which is a new venture for the association – What's what's with the pineapple? So it's a playoff of that, but it's also what is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? I like it. It's a two for one thing I want to make clear for any new listeners. And this is the first episode. So we're all new listeners at this point. It is not what's with the upside down pineapple. Oh, all right. Gosh. We learned something valuable while researching 
this logo and moving in this direction for the association. And upside down pineapple, completely different meaning than a pineapple in general. This is not, I want to make this abundantly clear right out of the gate. This is not a podcast for swingers, but an upside down pineapple is apparently an invitation for swingers. So for the record, we'll get this clear now and we'll never have to talk about it again. Not a podcast for swingers, but is a podcast for hospitality professionals in Michigan and hopefully beyond. Our pineapples do not flip upside down. Correct. Okay. Got it. I think we're off to a great start. A professional one. (laughs) All right, Emily, you have created some specific segments for this podcast, so we just don't ramble on incoherently for 30 minutes and call it a day. What is the first segment you have teed up for us? So the, the first segment would be a current event segment. Which for this one, it might kind of bleed into another segment we're going to be doing. It's a GA segment, government affairs segment, which I have titled For Fork's Sake. Oh, still cheeky. Had a lot of fun with the titles. Yeah. Flex a creative muscle. We've So we're five minutes in. We've, we've talked about uh, forks, uh, which is a very similar to another four word, F word. And we've talked about swingers. I think this is a highly professional podcast. People are going to respect it and like it. Um, but you're right. We got a lot of current events to talk about. There's a lot going on out there. The thing I don't really want to talk about at all, but we're going to have to, is the uh, the creation of the now relevance of the Omicron variant in Michigan or in the United States and the fact that it's going to impact this industry, whether we want it to or not. We hear from members daily. Uh, do we do we expect another shutdown? Do Should I be preparing right now for my restaurant uh, or hotel to see regulations and restrictions that were on it for a year and a half and the short answer is i don't know definitively but right now it would see i would suggest no michigan is in the middle of at least as bad as it's ever been in terms of test positivity or new cases or even hospitalizations but the most that we have seen this administration administration the whitmer administration do of late is a uh, mask advisory it's not a mandate but a strong suggestion that everyone should be wearing masks uh, in and around any indoor environment so that is where we're at right now i don't i don't anticipate and we don't we don't hear messages either from the department of health and human services or the governor's administration that we are trending in a different direction but i think the sense of of uh, panic is starting to come back with some people and and will it impact this industry we are in the field right now i wish we had data we don't have data right now for as, as to how it's impacting restaurants and how it's impacting hotel occupancy rates. We expect to have that for the next podcast, but are we already seeing with the rise in the Delta variant in Michigan, is that changing people's willingness to dine out, to travel? Uh, right now, I'm still seeing pretty full restaurants in a lot of different places. People are wearing masks more than they were, but yeah. people are still getting out there and still dining. You know, And when you got 70% of the population, give or take, in Michigan vaccinated, that's a good sign that people are, feel comfortable It's not a perfect environment, but a lot of people still seem to feel safe. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I think, first of all, not to make light of it, but Omicron. I said Omicron. I don't don't know how to say it. Say it again. Omicron. I had to to Google this one because I thought it was Omicron. It is not. Okay. Someone else, I was on a webinar or I was on a uh, Zoom earlier this week. Someone called it Omicron. It's definitely not that. It's, It's Googled. It's verified. It's Omicron. It's not Omicron, though. Omicron. Yeah. Okay. We can edit this if that's not right, right? <laughs> I think it's accurate. I, I stand by. I stand by what Google told me two hours ago. Omicron. Okay. Perfect. I just don't want to say it wrong the entire time. Yeah, I think that there is an inc- an elevated concern, and Michigan is 
the highest in the country right now. If that, I don't know if that's still accurate, but yeah. And with that comes uncertainty. And just as as a consumer and pe- and someone who talks to people who are consumers, I think people are questioning not necessarily the safety at a restaurant or a hotel, but it just just it provides another holiday season of uncertainty. I will say that this is our first holiday season being open as an industry in since 2019, and so in two years which is a positive. And I think that the consumer demand is still there right now. And we'll have more data within the week to address. Yeah, I spoke to one of our board members earlier today who who does a a lot of uh, catering and large events, especially at the holiday season, and was was pleasantly surprised that there, there have been virtually no cancellations. So Holiday, Christmas, Hanukkah, all going forward as, as planned for a lot of people. But it's an always changing environment. We're going to keep making sure we send education your way. It's, mm-hmm. it's important that we as an industry project safety, project cleanliness, project sanitization. This is not going to be a plug. This is not a podcast for the plugs of what we do. But the Serve Safe Dining Commitment is a pretty strong way, Emily, right, for our members to be able to demonstrate their safety to uh, to their guests. And they can find that at MRLA.org. All right, I promise that's the last plug. There's a plug. Okay. That's a plug. I promise it's the last plug. Okay. Anything more on Om- Omicron? Ooh, <laughs> so close. Uh, nothing more on Omicron. Okay. Kick it to the next segment. Okay. So wrapped up the current event segment of that and now going into government government affairs for Fork's sake. Justin- the first installment of For Fork's Sake. We'll see if that name stays. <laughs> I hope it does. <laughs> What's what's going on in Lansing? Yeah, listen, a lot going on in Lansing right now. Legislators are back from their two-week hunting break and are going to be in a three-week charge that seems to be maybe uh, a little more eventful than we originally thought it was going to be. Very real possibility that some large appropriations bills, bills that put forth some of the federal funding that has been held in abeyance for quite some time, here in Michigan as Republican legislators and the Democratic governor try to come to an agreement. There's room here for some potential deals and and that may or may not impact this industry. Some of the funding going directly towards the COVID surge we're dealing with right now and making sure we have necessary supplies in the state and and in schools is an issue that is likely to to be dealt with, but I I don't put anything past this legislature uh, or this governor to find a way to not get a deal done. But also something on the economic development side, and, and whether or not MEDC, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, is going to get some of the tools it needs. This is not relevant to our industry exactly, but the fallout of Ford moving a, a large plant to Tennessee to build their electric vehicles is a huge deal here in Michigan, right? It's This is the auto capital of the world, and, and I think they're feeling that sting in, in Lansing and the capital. Certainly the governor feels that sting and trying to get some funding for MEDC to get out there and try to recruit some other large uh, employers into this state. And that ties into this industry because if we're going to move economic development, we firmly believe at the MRLA that we need to get some support out there for for small businesses like restaurants and hotels that have been a little bit left behind. We we had a strong push in the spring. We had a lot of relief on the table. The legislature put something through that would have helped this industry tremendously, and it was vetoed by the governor. They then didn't negotiate at all and rammed it through a second time. I put this one a little bit more on the legislature, and it was vetoed again. So it feels like maybe something got done to some legislators because they passed some bills, but no relief actually made its way to this industry, whether it was property tax relief, sales tax relief or otherwise to help this industry that that suffered pretty tremendously in 2020. And we're going to be reminding them pretty strongly that they need to get something across the finish line that gets 
enough votes in the House, enough votes in the Senate, and actually gets the governor's signature across the finish line. So that's something we're spending a lot of time uh, on these next few weeks, uh, as well as as monitoring uh, the short-term rental legislation and whether that's going to move, whether there's going to be a compromise deal, or whether that gets pushed into 2022 as well. So that's what's happening in Lansing. One thing I want to highlight that happened in Detroit in recent weeks that I think is, is somewhat surprising and alarming it certainly has caught the attention of a lot of people uh, nationally that follow this industry. The city council on November 16th passed a new ordinance that focuses on improvements in wages and workplace safety by creating a non-compulsory but a standards board. So just as few as 150 workers of any industry can petition the mayor to create a standards board for their industry. And, 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 I, and I reflect on 150 because that's a very small number when you think of how many people are working in the restaurant and hotel industry in the city of Detroit. It's our biggest city. Uh, we have tens of thousands, still, I imagine, north of 50,000 employees working in this industry in this city. So 150 is a very small, very small subset that could create this board. It's a nine-person board uh, that will be appointed by both the city council uh, in Detroit as well as the mayor jointly to get three people who are employees in the industry, three people who have managerial-level experience or association experience like, like ours. We'd love to be asked to be on that board. And then the mayor gets to, and city council, each, each get to appoint someone and then someone from the public at large. So this is a nine-person board that can then meet and set standards for any industry that, that they are, are organized for. So you could see this as a tool, as a pathway to in the city of Detroit recommend, for instance, the elimination of the tip credit. And it's not a binding resolution, but it is given some level of credibility that in the city of Detroit, this industry-based board, who we're supposed to take very seriously, that represents all segments of the industry, suggests it's time to eliminate the tip credit in the city of Detroit. And that's concerning. It's concerning to a lot of our, of our operators. I know a small subset believe that that is how restaurants should operate, but by our polling and our membership, that's less than one in 10. So the overwhelming majority would find some concern with the idea that we should be proactively recommending elimination of the tip credit. So it's something we're monitoring very closely. I want to de-stress everyone listening right now that that is a recommendation. They, they are allowed to make recommendations, not mandates, but those recommendations go to the city council, go to the mayor, and uh, I'll give them the tools they need to create ordinances uh, in their own right going forward. So something we're watching very closely, something that has caught the attention nationally. It, those who were involved, the SEIU and the Fight for 15 uh, organizations were the, really the, the lead groups pushing to get this ordinance across. So again, something we'll be uh, watching closely. Uh, as it develops, and, and, and we'll see if this industry, restaurants or hotels, end up being a focus of, of creating one of these standards boards. So they don't current, our industry does not currently have a board, or that's not? Does not exist. This just passed in, in mid-November, so it's, it's, it's pretty new, and uh, we'll, see, we'll see in 2022 where it develops. I don't even anticipate this industry to be the first target by any means. I think I think there is a focus by SEIU for this to be a nursing specific focus early on, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Have we seen other in other states, big cities have something like this? That's why it's getting a lot of national attention here. It, it has been attempted on a statewide basis in California, uh, where all good policy starts. California moving east and was not able to get across the finish line in California. That version had a little more teeth that the, the not quite binding, but pretty close to, to binding the recommendations put forth by these industry boards. So Detroit's a test case nationally, kind of. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So for our first interview ever on the What's with the Pineapple podcast, we have 
Jeremy Sassoon, who is founder of Heirloom Hospitality that runs Townhouse Detroit, Townhouse Birmingham, Prime and Proper, and is always venturing into new new spaces, and he can share that with us. He is a MRLA board member since 2018, industry leader in Detroit and statewide, and has a lot of good insight to share today. And a really bold speaker. Uh, That's just why Jeremy has been asked to be our first guest. He is never, never will shy away from a a, a hot take and never will walk away from uh, uh, getting into an aggressive conversation on this industry. He's a huge advocate. I'm a big believer in what he does. And so I'm excited to see what this interview brings. Jeremy Sassoon, welcome to What's With the Pineapple, our first ever guest and our first ever edition of the podcast. I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, you are a man with many bold takes and a lot of great ideas, new ideas for this industry. That's why we wanted to get you in here to share a little of that vision and, and perspective. So I appreciate you making the time. Why don't we start out by you just tell us a little bit about your restaurant group. And instead of just naming the restaurants, give us a sense of, of what's behind those restaurants. What are the what are the ethos or what is the ethos behind the group? And, and what do you think sets each, each one of those locations apart from their competition? Yeah, well, thanks, Justin, for the introduction and happy to be uh, number one with what's with the pineapple. I think the name is great. So excited to be here. Love to tell you a little more about our group and kind of what drives our ship and, you know, in, in the same time, what helps us stand apart. The, probably the biggest notion I would say is that we don't see ourselves as a restaurant group. We see ourselves as an experience company uh, and our purpose is to create experiences for a living for those guests that we have the pleasure of calling our guests. Probably some of the biggest standalones are we don't have customers, we have guests. We, um, we are in the business of creating experiences, not just serving food and beverage. And I think that really is kind of behind it all what drives our ship and helps us kind of think bigger than what's on the plate to, to kind of kick things off. But uh, our group is called Heirloom Hospitality. Uh, The name was kind of rooted in the purpose of having a company that could pass down from generations to generations and that the experiences that we create, create this sense of heirloom, which, you know, in turn traditionally has a tangible relationship. And we like to think of our experiences kind of our intangible at the same time. Project started about 10 years ago with my first project, which was the creation of the brand Townhouse that for the first five or six or seven years in doing that, we put a lot of energy and effort into kind of creating brands that are creating a brand that was inevitably a neighborhood staple in the communities in which it you know, participated in. And it really propelled us to going from kind of a higher volume restaurant world into more curated and more attention to detail minded restaurant spaces, which kind of bred the creation of our next project, Prime and Proper, which may, you know, today be more, more or less our flagship concept here in Michigan. And it stimulated us now into other, you know, spaces. Uh, we've contributed into some nightlife with a project called Cash Only, which lives beneath Prime and Proper um, and has set the stage and table for some really fun event driven business. And I think when you look at kind of what we uh, have on deck, which I'm sure we'll talk about here shortly, and what we've created, what has really kind of been the ethos of our business is understanding what it means to create special experiences for people and use food and beverage as just a tool in creating it. 
I love that. And it's an explanation that I've been to each one of those locations and, and I think does an excellent job of explaining what, what they bring to the table. You focused on experience and I really want to use that to segue into the next because you are, especially with Prime and Proper, but I think each one of your restaurants are, are a little more upscale and that segment in, in, in the post-COVID world is, is struggled a little harder than some others, but you have set yourself apart. How are you in the white tablecloth segment and what experiences are you creating that, that really makes it stand apart? Because you, you are right. It's going to be necessary to create that type of experience to thrive in that segment of the industry. And, and so what are you doing right now to make, to make that work? And, and how have you decided to stay in that segment when you're seeing a lot of your competition struggle there? Yeah, I think for us, uh, we have opted to double down or triple down in the context of looking at the white tablecloth, fine dining, refined dining space as a space in which we have decided and looked in the mirror. And I think a lot of it too, Justin, has come with just evolution. When I started, I had the luxury or ability to start you know, playing restaurateur at an early age. And so the 25-year-old version of myself is not the 35-year-old version of myself or now 37-year-old version of myself. And so I, I look at restaurants as these moments that we create, these productions, these plays, musicals, theater, if you will, and what type of character development and what type of show and production we want to put on it drives kind of the cart. And so... When I say we've doubled down and tripled down, even in the townhouse brand, and I'll kind of unpack this quickly and, and not spend too much time on it, but you know, we took the townhouse Detroit brand, uh, the townhouse brand, and, and have elected to kind of separate it amongst our existing and previous townhouse locations. We have two townhouse locations currently, and we decided to kind of unpack the version in Detroit, which we thought was a really special space and where most of our townhouse brand DNA has kind of come to life in, in the past maybe five years or so. And we decided that, you know what, we just wanted to tighten our belt a little bit and double down on experience and move further away from convenience in the concept of what our brands meant and have become. And in doing so, we have a repositioning opportunity at our first location in Birmingham, which is a much smaller, super neighborhoody type feel that you know, it might live outside of that fine dining ecosystem. And we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit, but we have chosen to discern that out of COVID, people have chosen two paths and maybe there will be an intermediary path down the road here. But in the, in the current moments that we feel we're living in, people value experience and they value the details or they value convenience and they value their time. And so we have said to ourselves, we don't want to be in the middle. The place in the middle is not where we think the future lies. You can see that in juxtaposing luxury brands like LVMH and Louis Vuitton and things in that portfolio. Those companies have soared and then you juxtapose them to kind of the middle and you look at the forever 21s of the world and those brands have not soared. That personally, um, so you, look at to me. What, you know, I love forever 21. How dare you? I mean, I know you have a house account there, so I didn't want you to <laughs> take that personally. But uh, it's just one of those things where like, people have chosen to enjoy the best if they can. And I feel, and we've, and we've probably had some you know, conversations that have gone back and forth about this or whether or not my statement here is true or not. But, and I know there's a lot of listeners on the other side that would argue differently, but you know, I can only speak for what I believe in. 
the the average to mediocrity that may exist out there is not where I think people choosing to spend their time, their dime, or really look to kind of spread out and enjoy the value of experience. And so that's what we have. We've always been an experience focused company. And so that's where we've chosen to kind of, you know, reinforce that. Does that always mean it has to come with white tablecloth? No, but it has to come with, you know, attention to detail and, and really understanding the greater good of why the brand exists beyond, you know, sustenance and, and being able to feed you. I think the visual at Prime and Proper of the dry age cooler that is larger than my house is a, is a good testament to where you're coming from on creating an elite experience and opportunity in the city of Detroit. Yeah. Uh, and I think those are just that. And when you unpack that, if you really look further, the message on that is about transparency. The message about that dry aging room is about sharing something with you that maybe you don't get to have access to often. So when you're looking for something that allows you to feel closer and relatable to something that you get to spend time and money on, it's our job as restaurateurs and hospitality professionals to make you feel a particular way. And I'm in the feel business, you know, like I'm in the business of making you feel a particular way. And so like whatever I can do to make you feel good and feel like this was worth it. I use that as a measuring stick to whether or not we're doing our job. Nice. I don't want to reflect too long in the past, but when I think of 2020 and I first go into PTSD shock and I'm, and I'm kind of useless for a little while, but when I come back out of that PTSD, uh, I think of, I I hear, I hear your voice because you were, you were really um, amongst a lot of the leaders in this industry we worked with and, and talked with daily, sometimes hourly, you were maybe the most aggressive and had a specific and pretty bold plan right out of the gate. You seemed to have an idea of what was going to be necessary, how you were going to adapt, how you were going to make your business survive a pretty challenging time period, especially given where you were in the city of Detroit, which I think a lot of people would say, especially those in the downtown district, suffered disproportionately. There really was zero available clientele to dine in or get carry out at those locations but you seemed undeterred by what was a pretty challenging and harrowing time. Talk a little bit about what you did during that time period, how you, how you saved your business and, and, and kept it strong for where you're at right now. Yeah. I mean, a lot to unpack there for sure. And you have two minutes. <laughs> you, you, you use your P, PTSD net reference. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go back there yet, <laughs> but um, I think a lot of it was when you, you get into this business, not for money. And the reality is this is a business that you get in because you enjoy the feeling that you get by making people feel a particular way. And I looked at COVID as, and I had every emotion under the moon and stars, I would imagine like most, but I looked at it like, okay, this was always going to be a marathon for me. This is just part of the uphill portion of that run. And I, I tried to step back as much as I could and try not to worry about whether or not I could pay this bill or pay that bill or what were we going to do or how are we going to fill this restaurant and say, all right, this is just a moment in which we have to figure out which way to steer the ship because stopping it or letting it run aground wasn't going to be an option. And, you know, I didn't have all the answers, but I knew that I was not interested in giving up. And I think at that point, you just have you immediately take the glass empty and realize that it's just half full or maybe only 10% full, but it's not empty. And I think for us, it was 
we're in the experience minded business. So like we did some creative things where we brought our experience into people's homes and we, you know, did tons of outdoor catering and barbecues and chef dinners and sold retail products and did what we could knowingly that none of that was ever going to just, you know, change the way our company was going to pay our bills. But it showed our organization that change is just part of who and what we are. And I think we doubled down on that reality that change is okay with, you know, the improvements that we've made to Townhouse Detroit with a massive, you know, million dollar plus renovation in the, in the middle of all this mess to pivoting brands that need to pivot for the greater good of the brand and the greater good of the community and the guests that enjoy it during these moments. But I don't know. I just, I, I don't take challenge lightly. I, I, I look at challenges as, as one of those things that like, you're either going to, you know, Jim, I know Jim Harbaugh is not your favorite, but I'm going to use it. It's like, either I'm going to beat Ohio State or I'm going to die trying. I'm going to beat this moment in time or I'm going to die trying. One in nine ain't bad. Yep. Uh, hey, this is the restaurant business. You're only as good as your last win, baby. I, I, li- I like that. I yeah. like that. All right. Well, listen, I, don't, I won't linger on that too long. I just think it, it did It did need to be said. Your, your leadership and, and guidance for a lot of other restaurateurs that, that went to you for advice on uh, not just us, but you as an operator that we collaborated with on how best to go after PP, when to go after it. Should, should I take an idle loan? Should I not? Uh, your guidance and leadership was was helpful to a lot of people, not just on our board, but but to restaurateurs across the state. And so it, it's, it's, it needs to be noted and uh, and appreciated. So I appreciate it. I mean, I, I, I look at myself as a thoughtful opportunist and I, I don't shut the door on any, any opportunity that might come our way. And, you know, I know not everybody may be wired that way. And so, you know, you don't join the MRLA to take, you join the MRLA to give and hopefully in return, it gives back to you, you know? So I, I, and I view it the same way in the restaurant business across the entire platform. It's my job to give and hopefully in return receive. So if I have something and it's, I treat it the same way competitors in my market. It's like, if you call me and ask me what I think about something, I'm going to talk to you as if you're my business partner, not like you're my competitor. So I like it. I like it. Let me, let me, let me go future uh, on you a little bit now. And and I think you're pretty future looking uh, individual. We're going to spend a lot of time unpacking the the future of technology as it relates to the restaurant industry in in coming episodes. I think it's a it's a transitional period for for this industry, and you're going to see that even at the small independent level, start playing a much larger role. You've been you've been integrated with a variety of of technology and how you run your restaurants. But what do you see as critical and important in that segment? What what technology do you think is going to be necessary to be able to run restaurants efficiently as you go forward? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've always looked at the restaurant industry as never really having one great, you know, master ecosystem that technology kind of plugs into and makes life for everybody equally the same. Um, There's no great restaurant operating system. The, you know, Microsoft of the world for computers isn't necessarily so existent in our business, but I think, I think the technologies that will surface first, we'll go back to kind of the nuts and bolts of the business that make it either successful or not. And I think the first ones are technologies that drive revenue. I think it's then technologies that minimize expenses. And then it's technologies that enhance guest experience. And like the collection of those probably initial three forms of technology as they relate to solving a problem or 
creating a path of, you know, minimalized resistance, shed light on kind of the reality of, you know, this has kind of been a crumbs business with a small amount of, you know, margin traditionally because the allotment of cost to execute either even in a quick service or a full service experience, there's just a lot to unpack to make, make sense. But I think, I think a lot of it is first and foremost, technology that drives revenue. Uh, there are ways to bring people into your restaurant. There are ways to sell more products or there are ways to increase the amount of consumer opportunity. And, you know, that's the selling food to go via third party all the way down to getting someone in and out of your restaurant quicker to open up a chair faster met with, technology that minimizes expenses, you know, as in this business, the biggest expense we have unquestionably is labor. And now we see cost of goods and supplies soaring, whether it be supply, you know, supply issues or, you know, commodity issues or inflational issues or who, who else knows what issue. That's where I think technology is going to show its face. And then lastly, uh, ways to enhance your willingness to spend more money when you're in the restaurant for any possible reason why. And so those are the three, but do I look at any one more important than the other? I think every business has to decide what technology they are good at implementing, not which one they're willing to pay for. Implementing the technology is more important than signing up for it. And it's much harder. And that's really where the costs come into consideration. I can't speak even for myself, how many times we've signed up for something and unsigned up for it pretty quickly when we look at, no, this implementation is not going to shed real value. The idea is good, but the execution is not. And so there's just a lot to unpack. And I, I think that's my advice to those looking at technology to shape their business. No, it's a smart differentiation oh, for, for yeah. sure that of, of understanding and being self-aware enough as an operator to understand what, what you're capable of taking on and being able to actually get uh, some ROI on and what just seems fancy, but, but might not actually be for you. So that's, that's a good distinction. I feel like data was the buzzword for a long time in this business over the last few years. And then I look closely and I'm like, that's great. The data is there, but I don't have the resources to unpack the data and the technology is not unpacking it specific enough to my business. So then I find myself, you know, saying, well, that's good that the data is there somewhere, but I don't really get to use it. So I can't steer the ship. So I think going back to what I referenced, those three tranches for somebody, it might only mean driving down expenses. But for somebody else, it might be technology to drive revenue. And you just have to use which one works for you. Okay, let me get you out on this. What, what's, what's, what's coming next? You're, you're always coming up with new ideas, uh, always building towards something else. Uh, you have any new concepts opening up? And will they even be in the great state of Michigan? Yeah, so my uh, uh, Michigan is definitely where I you know, call home and, and where I think the future is just as bright as many other places around the country. Our organization has four targeted restaurants over the next 24 months here in, in the state. Our, our interest in being here is as relevant as what I'm about to describe. Uh, we're pursuing about 35,000 square feet of restaurant space here in the state at the moment in the Oakland and Wayne County areas. Our first restaurant goes into construction next week. And it's a restaurant that was, you know, if I, if I were to go back and write a book, it's kind of one of those that like I used to pride myself on how fast I could open restaurants from the date I'd start construction to the date they'd open I felt really good about how quickly I could do those projects and it was kind of my internal brag to myself looking back at this restaurant I'm about to tell you about it's taken uh, the lease was signed in 2018 to give you some context and 
it started construction maybe a month or two before COVID. And for nearly 20 some months now, we spent a lot of time back and forth with the landlord on the project in Midtown that we now are going to kick off construction again next week. And we were shooting for an April to May opening on about 11,500 square feet of what we are calling our second avenue project in Midtown. We have a, and once had a name circulating, we couldn't secure federal trademark on it. So I have a new name, but I'm not prepped and ready to announce it, even though I'd love to do it on what's with the pineapple. Nice. I'll save it for another day. But long story short, what it's bigger about platform to launch than right here, Jeremy? I mean, come on, this yes, is it. Yes, yes. But we are we are pursuing um, we're pursuing some other projects. One in uh, in the in the Troy market, we have another project in Detroit. Um, that was a current restaurant that's moving on here shortly, and and we're exploring it as an opportunity. Those all first three restaurants that I'm referencing are all unique brands. The one in Midtown is a, you know, California inspired nod to Italian food. And then the other ones that we're looking at are different than anything else that we have as a brand. And then the last project would be a second prime and proper in the Oakland County market. And so that, that's kind of what we have packaged. We, we are you know, in this for the long haul, growing, we look at this as a unique time to grow and double down on experiential dining when maybe there's a little apprehension, gives us a, a greater opportunity to kind of be the storyteller and, the, you know, a premier storyteller in the experience part of the business. And, you know, we got a lot to unpack, certainly to get there, but, you know, we are all gas, no break over here. I love it. Fortune favors the bold and Jeremy is going straight forward. Uh, it's an, it's an uncertain environment we're operating in, but I think you see opportunity and, and I share that with you as well. Jeremy Sassoon, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being the first guest ever on what's totally. with the pineapple. Emily, did we miss anything? Yeah, I was here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, there's Emily. Hey, Emily. <laughs> Good. Long Thanks time for no see you. Yeah, thanks for being on the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I know Justin, you wanted to ask me about what would be the last two or the two ingredients on the last pizza I'd ever get to enjoy. Oh yeah, would you? Uh, you you got to get an answer for this. Great. This was this was I like the the throwaway question I want people to get in on. Maybe well, do this every so single guest. Pizza is the last meal choice for me, which also is part of the concept that we're getting ready to launch and kick off construction next week. Pizza is the DNA of that restaurant. But for me, the last two ingredients are forged Michigan morels and some super, super spicy pepperoni. Oh, that's a, that's a good combo. I like that. Will I be able to order that soon in Midtown Detroit? We'll see you there. I like it. I like it. All see right, Jeremy, thank you very much for your time today. Of course, you guys have a wonderful rest of your holiday and be in touch soon. All right. Sounds great. Be well. Thanks. Thanks.